All right, I'm reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, and then from 1 Samuel, the second chapter. John, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. And then 2 Samuel 2 and 25. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel. Can't read my own writing. Neither can anyone else. First Samuel 2 and 25, if one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now that you would undertake God. Anoint the word and bless and help us, O Lord, to receive it today. Help this church, O Lord God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Praise God. Amen. Shake a few hands as you're being seated. God bless you. Brother Dan, did you schedule a work day for after service today? Yes. Okay. All right. I, I want to say I want to say a, a public thank you. I didn't last Sunday to those who showed up for our work day. We had the we had the worst turnout for help on a work day that, that we've had probably forever, at least in a very, very long, long time. Uh, there were four men who showed up besides myself last weekend to do the work, and three of them were old. Four, count me, <laughs> as, I, as I was the oldest. But, uh, and there were three ladies besides my wife who showed up to work, and so we were not able to get everything done that needed to be done. And there was a notable absence of help among the younger crowd. <laughs> and that's right. So for your for your uh, working and dining pleasure, we have scheduled a follow-up work day right today after the service, and we're asking the younger generation to stick around and finish up what needs to be done and help us to get this done because it is not proper to leave all the work to the old people. Amen. Not proper. All right. You have to pick up and take on the job. We did. We did have one. I, I did say that we had one. And he worked hard. Thank you, Brother Jimmy. <laughs> and I'll take some fresh water. Was Josh here? Josh was here? Josh Mackey was here? That's right. Josh Mackey was here. That's right. The disciples asked Jesus a question regarding a man who was sick and, and blind and needed healing. It's a fundamental question which really speaks to 
how we understand spirituality and how it works. Uh, we, we tend to look at everything and see a cause and effect and wonder uh, where the responsibility li- lies. It was very much so in the thinking of the day, the Jewish thinking of the day, who did sin? Who was the one who sinned? This man or his parents? And the answer that Jesus gave was neither one. Neither one sinned, but so that the glory of God might be revealed in this situation. That opened up a whole new world, a whole new paradigm of thought and understanding about the work of God and about spirituality. But I'm not really here to talk about that. I want to really talk about something else. There was an article that appeared in Christianity Today in 1974. It was about Christians in the Soviet Union. And there was, in particular, a former uh, Soviet criminal whose name was Kozlov, who became a church leader. Uh, But he wrote of his life in the Soviet prison. And he said that among the general despair, while prisoners like myself were cursing ourselves, the camp, cursing the camp, the authorities, while we opened up our veins or our stomachs or hanged ourselves, the Christians, often with sentences of 20 to 25 years, did not despair. One could see Christ reflected in their face. Their pure, upright life, their deep faith and devotion to God, their gentleness and their wonderful manliness became a shining example of real life to thousands. It is this particular quality of peace that Christians have available to them that I want to speak of today. And uh, I do it in the face of uh, my own personal and, and, and the personal lives and journey of many of us today which are affected by things that we bear in ourselves uh, that are wounds that have hurt us emotionally and impact the spiritual quality of our lives. Last week I spoke of a particular spiritual revelation relating to our attitude of sacrificing to God. And today I will share with you another revelation I have had recently, and that is of dealing with the effects of the sins of other people against us. How do we deal with something that was done against us. Now sin is the ultimate spiritual hindrance. We learn in 1 Peter 3 and 7, the Bible says, Likewise you husbands will with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together with the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So we can see here that there is something about a relationship that impacts the spiritual uh, truth of our lives. Another translation, the contemporary English version, has it this way. It says, treat her with honor because she isn't as strong as you are, and then nothing will stand in the way of your prayers. So it is more than just being married or a question of being married, a spouse or a husband and a wife. It is a man and a woman, but it is also a relationship in Christ that makes these two partners in spiritual life. As a brother and a sister in the Lord, they are in marriage. As being heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together of the grace of life. 
So when we walk through life with a significant other, a spouse, a husband, or a wife, there's a journey, there's a spiritual partnership in the journey. And uh, even though each one of us must stand alone and independently give an account of ourselves to God someday for our life, yet there enters into the shape of what we become as Christians the impact of our spouse and of significant others upon us. There is an impact to the quality of our spiritual life and living. And it can be for the good or it can be for the evil. We can make each other better or worse by how we relate to one another uh, in life because there is a spiritual impact and component upon it as well. And the Bible tells us uh, that, that men should treat the wife with that respect uh, because she is not as strong as you are. Now, that, uh, that asks men to step up to the plate and be men and be leaders in life. Be the kind of leader <clears throat> that a woman does not have to doubt nor feel unsafe with nor feel unsecure with, but rather <clears throat> someone that she can know that her destiny is in good hands. Clearly how we relate to others impacts both their and our spirituality. There is an impact here. And uh, <clears throat> further instruction on prayer comes from the Lord's Prayer, which we find in Matthew 6, 9-13, and also in the Gospel of Luke. We find it. How many of us could quote it? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily, our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. Verse 12. Other Gospels define the word debt as sin. Luke 11 and 4. Forgive us our sins, it says, as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Now, we know the Lord's Prayer, but here's the interesting thing, that the next verse, verse number 14, Jesus comments on what he has just taught us to pray. There's an addendum to the Lord's Prayer. Verses 14 and 15, uh, Jesus explains it further. He said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So here is this wonderful Lord's Prayer. Uh, some who have studied it have broken the Lord's Prayer down into 12 components, 12 um, points, 12 issues. Have you heard of praying the prayer clock? We've had teaching on that in the past. Praying the prayer clock. Uh, you know, opening up with praise and then worship and then supplication and then thanksgiving and then uh, forgiveness and uh, uh, forgiveness divided into parts, seeking our own need to be forgiven and, and a prayer that, that releases others of their obligations to us and so forth and so on. There's 12 parts there, but yet Jesus in following up on this teaching, brings out this part of the prayer. And so it must be important. And it may perhaps be the most important part of the Lord's Prayer. And that is dealing with the sin hindrances in our lives. And we can be hindered two ways 
by sin. Our own sins that we do against others and the sins that others do against us. Either way sin works, it's a hindrance to our spiritual life. And I find it interesting that the only expanding commentary Jesus offers on the whole subject of prayer is in this particular area of dealing with the forgiving of the sins of other people. So now when, when we do something that hurts someone, when we do someone, something that hurts someone, we establish a debt factor. We, we build a debt. Uh, if, you, if you give something to someone, uh, you may intentionally or unintentionally create a debt factor. Uh, the old timers in the South used to say they were self-sufficient and independent. They didn't want to receive charity. And they would say, I don't want to be beholden to anybody. don't want to be beholden to anybody. The Bible talks about uh, gifts that can contaminate justice. When you give to someone who is in leadership and they have the power to dispense justice in a certain certain case or to dispose of favors in a certain case, and you give gifts to those persons, uh, you can corrupt the system. And today, we have laws in the land that actually speak to this, uh, this subject of, of gift giving that can now return political favors uh, because of the gifts that were given and received. And many politicians get in trouble and go to jail because of the way these kinds of things are being handled. So there is an indebtedness here. When we, when we hurt somebody, there is a debt factor there. And the same thing happens when someone hurts us. When they do something that hurts us and something that is against us, there is a debt factor there. There is something that happened and we're holding on to this and they owe us something. How many of us know very well the pain of wanting to be justified, of wanting to have your case be justified by other people? And we speak of the hurt and pain in our life and we share someone else's injury against us and we tell on them because we're hurting and because we want to be validated in our pain. We want to be justified with the pain that we have received in our life. That's the debt factor that we're dealing with there. And ever so long as we live and go through life, it will be impossible that we do not create debt banks in our life. And uh, the vaults may become full. Particular personalities seem to draw more of this kind of hurt than other personalities do. And banks can be loaded and filled with bills of debt that we hold in our life towards other people. And try as we might, that hurt is there. Try as we might to deal with it and push past it and get beyond it. That hurt is there. And we, we feel like those people owe us something. In fact, we can feel it so strongly that if we don't feel like we're being justified and vindicated, we can take matters in our own hands. 
America has fallen far from its biblocentric Christian moral values over the years. And I've discovered something uh, that rings true in the United States in that vengeance is more popular than ever. And uh, people do not, people it seems have reached a point where they no longer feel in any way compelled to soften the blow against those that have hurt them. But rather, they exult in and delight in digging in and getting even and getting vengeance. Revenge has become the battle cry of people who are hurt today. I want vengeance. I want my pound of flesh. I want to get even. But even if that vengeance resulted in the death of the perpetrator, that person is still going to bear the pain of that injury. That even that ultimate sacrifice, that ultimate demand of life for life, will not fill the death bank and resolve the debt issue. Now here is why what getting vengeance for our hurts really stinks is because even if we could get vengeance, we still would not end the debt. Hallelujah. We wouldn't end the debt. And uh, here's the rub about us because uh, they, they, they've hurt us, but it's, it's a debt. It's a trespass issue. We've trespassed against other people. But here's, here's, here's where it really, here's the rub. We find it in Romans 1.32, and then reading on down into chapter 2. The Bible says, Who knowing the judgment of God, they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Therefore thou art an inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for, where, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest dost the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them who commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and dost the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. So who gets to make the judgment? We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them who do such things. There's two sides to every story. And anybody can make a case for themselves and, and put it in words that would draw our sympathy and get us to think, you know, you're right, you're right, until we hear the other side of the story. And when we hear the other side of the story, we realize that there may have been something going on there that we weren't told, we weren't given all the facts. And uh, <clears throat> only an unbiased listener, a judge, who is wise enough to collect all the facts and all the evidence and hear all the whole story, can really make a decision about who they think is more right in the situation. And we are really incapable of being the best unbiased judges, because the best judges in the land hold in their own heart Unresolved debt issues, hurt and pain that humans have done to them that weigh in on the case that is before them. The best juries in the land 
hold the same qualities. And when they listen to the evidence and they make a judgment on a life, they must do so from the foundation of the debt in their own bank. And it colors the decision of how they make and decide the case. Only God himself is qualified, really, to know the whole truth and to make the whole judgment a correct one. So here's the rub. Humanity is broken. And it's impossible to find one among us who has not hurt someone else in some way. It's impossible to do that. And we can, ultimately, we can sin against each other all day long, and it won't really matter one whit in the grand scheme of things. Why? Because we're all guilty of doing the same things. None of us has any moral high ground over anyone else. Now, you might have in a particular situation... But God who sees us from the beginning to the end and who knows the things that we choose to forget, He knows. So ultimately, none of us has any spiritual moral high ground to judge anyone else. And uh, we have hurt somebody and we have been hurt by other people. So ultimately, our sins against each other really don't matter at all. Sometimes people trespass against us without meaning to. They do it out of ignorance. They do it without malice, without forethought, or without intent. Sometimes we misunderstand a situation. Someone missed a social cue. Some people, by reason of their genetics, of their DNA are not as apt or apt at interpreting social cues as other people are. We have disease names and syndromes for the worst cases of that kind of thing. And it's just that they don't get it. They don't understand and they can't. And if we judge them by the same meter as, as we hold ourselves... And they're incapable of that meter, then we are guilty of holding them to an account falsely because they didn't intend to hurt us. They, they didn't intend to not speak to us. They just didn't notice us. They didn't intend to not thank us. They just uh, were distracted. They didn't intend uh, to uh, not pay attention to us because there was something going on in their life and they were uh, distracted by those things. So there, there are things that happen and we sometimes, because we are the center of the universe, attract to ourselves debts that we hold in a debt bank and no one really is responsible for putting them there but ourselves because we, after all, are the center of our own universe and everyone else ought to know. They ought to know. And they ought to do accordingly. God knows the truth in those matters. But there are times, there are sometimes, when someone does something against us with depraved malice, with intent. They really did intend to hurt us. 
Whenever we become aware of sin or malice or hurt against us, we feel hurt. That's part of what it means to be human. I'm aware that somebody wanted to hurt me. I'm aware that they did hurt me, even if they didn't want to hurt me. And I feel hurt. I have a grievance. Now, this thing of emotions gets involved with it. Emotions is the strong box for the debt bank of person's debts. Emotions is the locking key to whether or not we hold the pain or we set it free. The emotional content, how emotionally we are impacted, how strongly we feel the pain and the hurt or hold to the desire for justification and vindication is the key to the strong box of the bank of trespasses in our lives. Jesus said, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors or those who are indebted to us. For if you forgive not men their trespasses, they have trespassed your property. They have trespassed your personal space. They have trespassed into your life. They have gone past that which is normal, that which is appropriate, that which is proper. They have done it, and it hurts you. If you don't forgive them, neither can God forgive us. Because we are all broken, and we forget where we've hurt other people. But we remember where they have hurt us. Amen. We, our drawers are empty in the bank of our pain and hurt to others. But we keep the vault full of pain and memory for things that people have done against us. As long as this is the case, and we allow emotions to hold the strong box of hurt and pain in our own lives, God has to withhold forgiveness from us. The power of forgiveness is so strong. It is so strong. And it is so underrealized in our lives. It is a gift from God. We don't deserve it, but He gives it. His grace and mercy is to give this out. So, because we have this emotional construct in our life, this hurt and this pain, you hurt me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. But later on, you hurt me. I said I was sorry a long time ago. But you just caused me to remember again by what you just said now. Or what you just did now. You just caused me to remember again. The hurt. You hurt me. I know I hurt you. I didn't mean to hurt you. I wish I didn't hurt you. I'm sorry. Okay. Something else happens. You hurt me. You always hurt me. And so this thing goes on and on and on and on and on in a vicious cycle forever and forever and forever. And what happens is when we became emotional, we couldn't help being emotional about the hurt. We couldn't help feeling the hurt. Amen. Somebody hurt us. We may be hurt as a child that will impact us the rest of our life. We grow up 
with pain and hurt. We, we grow up with reactions to things in life that are coming out of a childhood memory of hurt and pain that is significant in our life. And even when we could not understand or process it as a child, uh, it impacts how we deal with and how we relate to other people later on in life. And it takes a great deal of psychic work and unraveling to peel back the layers of those onions. Amen. And pull back and to understand, to begin to understand as an adult what we couldn't understand as a child and begin to see it differently as an adult would have seen it. Whereas a child, all we have is the memory of that hurt and in that pain. But what happens uh, when we are emotionally bound to the hurt and pain in our life is that we enter into bondage. We become bound by it. We are bound by that hurt. We are hindered by that hurt. It impacts us spiritually and more so to the point when we allow that sin to become a resonant factor in our life it wasn't our sin. It was somebody else's sin. But I have entered into it. I am a partner with it. By holding on to it. I have partnered with it. As a husband and wife are heirs together of salvation and of grace... And of how they affect one another is a part of what they become spiritually independent of each other and corporately together with each other. As much as it is a part of that, so it is true with the partnerships of everyone in life that has had an impact upon us. If they have impacted us in some way for the negative or for the positive, if it was a negative impact and I hold them accountable and do not release them and forever and forever remember the hurt and pain against them, I didn't commit the sin, but yet I am partnering with it. I am bound by it. It has actually more power over me than it does over them who have moved on and have repented of it and have forgotten it. But I preserve it and hold to it and can't let it go. And I am bound and I'm hindered and I don't have joy and I don't have peace. I struggle in my life with the sins of other people that I didn't do. I didn't commit it. Now here's what I want to tell you. And here's the revelation. Because it really doesn't count when we sin against each other. Sinners sinning against each other doesn't really count. Nobody gets to be moral here. No one gets to be better than anyone else. No one gets to have any kind of real spiritual high ground because if left to ourselves and absent of the grace of Jesus Christ in our life, absence of His work and forgiveness in us, humanity is left to itself, we're all going to hell. Yeah, that's right. We're all going to hell. That's the truth. Unless Jesus steps in and saves us, we're all going to hell because of what we've done. It doesn't matter which one of us is worse than the other. A, lie, a white lie will land you in the same liar's hell fire as a bold lie will. 
In the end, it doesn't matter. Do you see what I'm saying? The real truth about sin, whose sin is it anyway, is that all sin ultimately is against God. The only one it really matters to is God because He's the one that told us not to do it. He's the one that created a perfect and sinless world and told us to keep it that way and we didn't do it. So all sin ultimately is against God. And for the Christian who can understand this truth can walk in freedom from things that have bound you for years and years and years. Why should I let a molestation that took place over me as a child ruin my spiritual quality of life when I didn't do it? I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. Why don't I let that sin be between them and God? Let's stand. I feel the Holy Ghost rising in here. Let's stand together. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The secret to freedom in the Holy Ghost. God is showing it to me because I need to see it. I need to feel it. I need to have it. I need to let go of baggage I've carried for years and years and years bound me to hurt and pain that other people did against me. I need to let go of the need to be validated, vindicated, and justified. I need to allow God to deal with their sin and say, God, I didn't do that sin. They did it. Why am I partnering with it? By keeping it in my memory bank and holding them responsible even though they wanted to move on from there. I hold them responsible. Oh, hallelujah. I feel something in the air right now. There's a power here. There's an energy here. God is wanting to set somebody free right now. I want you to respond to the Holy Ghost right now. I want you to begin to respond to the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah. God is wanting to set us free. He's wanting us to have the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost that Romans, the 14th chapter, speaks of. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you do the back reading on that verse, you'll find, you'll find that it has to do with Christians' relationships to those who are weaker in the faith, to those who think it's wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Or for those who think it's wrong to take a drink of wine for medicinal purposes or, 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 or that kind of thing. For those who think it's a sin to do certain things and you have a liberty in the Holy Ghost. But for the sake of meat and drink, he said, I will not destroy my brother. If I know it will hurt them, I won't do it anymore. Amen. Because I have a responsibility here to my brother. And my walk with God has an impact upon other people. It will touch them and it will affect them. And I need to be responsible here. And so I won't do it. 
kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. God intended for us to have joy in our walk with Him. He intended for us to have peace in our walk with Him. And if I will let go of that person who hurt me, because really that sin was against God, and they're going to have to answer to God for it, not to me. They're not ever going to have to answer to me. I, I'm never going to get to be the judge in the judgment bar. Amen. It's always going to come down to God and them. And so if I will let them go, if I will let them go and let God have it and say, Okay, God, fine. I didn't commit the sin. I am not going to be bound by it. I am not going to be hindered by it. I am I'm, I'm not going to hold on to anger. I'm not going to need to be vindicated or justified. I'm going to let go of all this mess, this garbage that I've been holding on all, all these years. I'm going to let it go and I'm just going to trust in you, Lord God. And even if they look at me funny from now on out because they sinned against me, I'm not going to be worried about it because I didn't do the sin. I didn't do the wrong. Hallelujah. I'm alright with you. Hallelujah. I'm alright with you. Oh, let's pray. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mighty God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Go ahead, sing. Come on, let's worship him. Hallelujah. If you have something you need to do today, come on. Hallelujah. I give myself away. Myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away. myself away I give myself away so you can use me I give myself away I give myself away so you I am here. I am. 